with you to try to get you to practice, to take it up. And, 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 and in, re, in reasoning about bhakti, we seek to uh, expose the shortcomings and limitations of reasoning. With, with all the power of our reasoning, we want to bring us, uh, others and ourselves, to the point of not relying on such a feeble uh, means of, of knowing. As I've often said, if we are to know perfectly, in other words, if we are to be perfectly happy, we have to, our actions will have to be informed by perfect knowledge, then there has to be a perfect way to arrive at perfect knowledge. Reasoning is an imperfect way of arriving at knowledge. It's not, it, it shouldn't be enthroned as it is in, 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 in the world today, largely on the, on the altar as the worshipable entity by which everything will be known, reason and, and uh, whatever, empiricism. So, uh, hmm. another way of knowing, he says, dibbyam, this is implied here, one who knows me, my birth and my activities, dibbyam means to be divine, to be transcendental, and the implication of the word is, one who knows me on my terms, that person who has seen the futility of pursuing a comprehensive understanding of life by the mere exercise of his intellect, which is a very small and insignificant uh, instrument, from my vantage point, Krishna is saying. That person, Janma Karma Chame Divyam Tatvataha, he says, Janma Karma Chame Divyam Evam Yo Veti Tatvataha. Veti means to know, it means it comes from the root vid, knowing, knowledge, but here it, it it also means bhakti. It means raja vidya, raja guhyam, as he says in the ninth chapter. Vidya, raja vidyam. I am going to give you the supreme vidya, supreme knowledge. He tells Arjuna, raja vidyam, the, the king of knowledge. And what is it? What is that knowledge? He gives it at the end of the chapter, same chapter. bhakto. Become my devotee. This is the end of knowledge. So vid here, veti, means, again, implied by bhakti. One who knows me my, and has foregone imperfect means of knowing. Perfect means of knowing is that if, that, that, and if we want to know perfection, the implication is that we don't know perfection, so we're in some state of imperfection. So how will we come to perfect knowledge from imperfection. We have to have a perfect means. So the implication is that perfection seeks to ex- reveal itself to us, then it will be possible for us to know. So the perfect means is like this. It's what we have at our disposal. If you want to reveal, then it becomes possible. Otherwise, I can't just go there by force my way and break down the door. Uh, I'm, in, I'm steeped in imperfection and ignorance and misconception. And so how will I... How will I get perfect knowledge? I will just, just by imperfect means. What is it, what is intellect? What is mind? What are the senses? These are our means of acquiring and knowing, and they themselves are here today and gone tomorrow. So, a perfect means with a prayerful heart and appeal, a humble heart. So, vidhi veti means with bhakti and tattvataha. Hmm? They know me in truth. So, like I said here, this is mostly about. 
tvom and not about tat, but here the word tat is used. Tat means means him. Tvom means you. So you are his. Tat tvamasi. Tat is the subject of the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth chapter of the theology. But here, some segue into the theology. Some some on a tangent he goes in the context of explaining the kind of knowledge that comes from selfless action and, and what, what to do with that and how to cultivate that. He's gone into the theology and into the theology he's kind of talking about himself he has to talk about bhakti because the two are inseparable. They're one and different at the same time. The heart of the devotee, his or her love, corresponds with the form of Krishna. So janma karma, chamedivyam, one who knows, veti, tattvataha, in truth. It means in truth, that it means comprehensively. Again, it, that means bhakti. One who knows tat, that two, the twam, that you, are his. This is the kind of knowing. One who knows this, then that person, this is the result. The result of understanding what I'm talking about, which is possible by bhakti. And after all, he told Arjun, the reason I'm telling you this, you had a doubt, I mentioned it earlier, you had a doubt that if I, if what I say is true, and I'm giving this knowledge to kings and so forth, what, what makes Arjun, you qualified to get it? A human, and Arjun's thinking humbly about himself, and Arjun told him, well, bhaktosi me sakacheti, rahasyarita uttamam. It's a secret, that's rahasyam, uttam. It's, this is very high secret, but because you're my friend, because you're my devotee, then I'm telling it to you. So, that person who understands these things properly, and it means now. That's what it means. Means, means giving up the body. It says here, upon giving up the body, one will not take birth again. Who knows this? One who knows this about me, this is the general meaning. Upon giving up the body means the time of death, they will not take rebirth again. They will be free from the cycle of uh, reincarnation. And naiti, mamiti, they'll come to me. But it also means that, that, that this is not a religion of waiting till you die. This is a religion that says, die now. This is what it says, die now. What is, what is life? What is our life? That is our ego, that is our attachments. That's what it's all about. And the recommendation is, look, you, why die by forcibly? Go with dignity. Kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to force you. you know, have some integrity and don't let them do it. Die, you know, kill yourself. Kill your ego. Because if you just wait to be slaughtered you know, by the material nature, it's unbecoming. Get ahead of the curve, recognize it's happening, and kill yourself. This is the teaching. Kill your ego, in other words. You are your ego, your attachments. Put a death to those. Chaktvadeham, give up your body. Give up thinking, I am this body, and living accordingly. Ahamamete, don't think like that. Nam has come, Krishna Nam, to invite us progressively as he reveals himself. Come in this way, come in this way. Don't hold back. That is a humble metī. That will be, you invite him and then offend him. He, you invite me, I come, 
I tell you, do this now, leave this behind. So don't do that, follow him. Takva deham, he says, as soon as you give up your body, then you come to me in this life. So the teaching is now, this is, this is for, this is not a religion to wait to your death and then something will happen. Believe it, please. And if you don't, well, everything bad could happen to you and so forth. It's not like that. That's true too. But, but, but this, is, this is the kind of religion. Find out, experience what we're talking about now. That is yoga. All these things can, you have to become jivan mukta. Jivan mukta. Liberated in this life. And when you become liberated in this life, then the janamastami will take place. Liberated in this life, within this body, with this kind of pining and longing that, for, for, that the separation from Krishna is unbearable, then you will also take birth. But where? Wherever Krishna is appearing, that wherever Krishna is appearing in the world, that is Janamastami. So if the teaching is, this is one day we celebrate Janamastami. To, but the idea of it, all this getting together and whatnot, is, is, to, is to make every day Janamastami. Uh, to live every day in such, with the thought that I could meet, uh, meet my maker today, make an end to all my, all my trials and tribulations resulting from my false sense of independence. So, with that we conclude our discussion uh, from Bhagavad Gita. We'll take any questions, and this evening we'll get together answer questions, and we'll talk later on in the evening about the lila of the Janmastami, the actual. This is kind of the tattva of the Janmastami, the philosophical side of it. So, any question? Yes. How much is it that you can like... Well, basically, whatever way you can concentrate on Krishna, you should just do that. Like you said, the demons, like, yeah. how is it different? But then I think I've heard Rupa Goswami explain that Krishna and Sivanam is like favorable concentration, so it seems like there's a contradiction. The um, bhakti is favorable, so thinking of Krishna in a favorable way, that's a fact. But if you can't do that, it's still better to think of Krishna somehow or other mm-hmm. than not at all. Mm-hmm. Still, you, it comes to still, he wasn't doing bhakti in his, um, in his uh, fear, he had, or Shishupal in his enmity. They weren't doing bhakti, but still they attracted Krishna's attention to an extent. And they got bhakti. They got, they got some, uh, they got, um, Shishupal got. They got liberation. More than liberation, yeah. So. So well, that's the teaching, that, but does, it's correct. It doesn't mean that any kind of thinking of Krishna constitutes bhakti. That's why Krishna needed jai vijaya in order to taste vira rasa. He couldn't get vira rasa wrestling with kamsa. No, because kamsa had no bhakti. But jai vijaya, in their different appearances, they had bhakti. <laughs> they did that for the purpose, they took those births for the sake of facilitating Narayan's desire for Birarasa. And who, who will fight with him in, in Vaikuntha? So, what else? Yes? You know, could you speak a little bit more on um, the guru feeling different from the central 
How to prevent fall, the, the guru feeling indifferent towards us? Well, I guess you have to pay attention. That would be one of the things. If he or she offers some advice or, then, uh, or suggestion or says do this, and then we don't do it. No, I think he would be reluctant to bother to ask again. And, you know, and with regard to me, I'm not very fond of telling people what to do. To be honest with you, I like to just kind of suggest. It'd be nice if this happened, and then I, you know, if somebody grabs onto that, then I pay attention to them. That's my kind of nature, personally. But um, so by paying attention, I think. Look at Prabhupada. He got a, like an instruction and a letter and advice. He, he grabbed onto it like it was like his life and soul, and he made it happen. And he used to say, "All oh, my." Credit comes from this. I embrace the order of my guru. It's just a suggestion of his guru. He took it like an order. And so, you know, my the guru's words is not wa- not just wasted time. It may sound like well, this is a suggestion. You know, I think well, maybe that means that's important. And uh, mention it to me. I should try to make that happen. Something like that. That will certainly bring a lot of uh, a lot of attention. So that's one piece of advice. What else? Yes. So on that, on that, um, that sounds a little like conditional in a way to me, or if you're not practicing or doing kind of favorable things, then mm-hmm. or listening, <laughs> and then um, so is it like Krishna to give up? And no, the idea is that. You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So you, you do everything you can. You try, and, and but if they don't respond, then your time will be better spent with those who are responding. They won't be ignored, just like, okay, well, they do something. But it's reciprocal. So the love is there, but if there's no reciprocation, then there's not much facility being provided to enter into a reciprocal relationship. I may love someone despite the fact that they that they don't love me. That's the position of God, right? He loves people even though they don't love him in a general sense. But then if they start to respond back, then that's going to bring more attention naturally. It's just uh, kind of degrees, I guess you could say. No, Christian doesn't give up. That's for sure. People go... People do more than neglect. Krishna doesn't give up on them. They, they go in the opposite direction. Then he puts obstacles and reminds them of himself. And, and they find Krishna in the most obscure places when they were trying to get away from him. You know? <laughs> so they, 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 then they end up coming back and so forth. So, No, he never gives up. But there are some conditions in love. I mean, in, in a sense, love is unconditional, but then... The reciprocal dealings require that both parties participate. So if I'm participating and you're not, what I can, my hands are tied by you. You understand? You're, you're tied my hands. What can I do? So that's all she wants. That's all he wants. Okay, then the guru figures, then we'll give that. That's all they want. They want me from a distance. I'll keep a distance. Okay. If they get close to me, then uh, then, uh, then uh, they they can't uh, feel comfortable in that situation. Then give them some distance. 
and then gradually they'll come. Something like that. So there's like that. Guru's like a fire. So you've got to get close enough to the fire to get warm and to cook. But if you get too close, you might get burnt too. So you have to find the right distance and um, cook gradually. Something like that. Does that help? Yeah. Yes. I have a question kind of along the lines of the Guru. I thought we were saying about um, Arjuna sort of having doubts and questions. It was kind of interesting how that sort of reflected in the Guru devotee relationship. So um, I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about, and I'm kind of a beginner asking this question, but you know, what are some features of you know, sort of a bona fide Guru as opposed to um, a Guru that you shouldn't sort of. What are the, what do you say? What are the qualifications? Is that what you say? Of a bona fide guru as compared to another kind of guru? Yeah. Well, first of all, as far as doubting goes, that's, that's to be, we, we're kind of like inviting the doubts. Please bring your doubts. And it's expected that people will come with doubts. So the, 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 the Bhagavatam is inviting all kind of doubt. Bring your doubt. And so the guru says, come sit and doubt. But at least the, 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 the idea is that here's a place where if you voice your doubts, then it's uh, possible they'll be answered. And I think that this is one of the qualifications of the guru, that he can satisfy or she can satisfy our doubts. And the implication of the doubts being satisfied is that one becomes freed up, so to speak, to go forward. And then other doubts may come. And then, but after a time, if he or she is answering and satisfying your doubts, then kind of doubts go away, and doubts, suspicion, you know, kind of leads to suspension. So we get kind of doubts are like, um, you know, we, we we are in a suspended animation. We're alive, but we can't really live happily or freely or move freely. So. Anyway, the doubt is our condition, so to overcome that um, knowledge. Guru means knowledge, means heavy, so heavy with knowledge. So this is one of the symptoms then, one of the qualifications, it would seem, that he or she is capable of removing our doubts. And, of course, now there's a way in which the doubts are, are removed. And the basis of that is that the guru should be able to awaken within us or to foster our already existing, to one extent or another, sense or faith that real knowing, comprehensive knowing, enlightened life and so forth requires some, some grace that from above coming down is the way to go up. If God had reaches out to us, then we can go up. So he or she, the guru, awakens faith then in, in the idea, the concept of revelation. Now the sacred texts are a, are a form of that revelation, and he or she should be able to speak about them with reference to them in such a way that the ongoing kind of discussion, as I look at it, that revelation constitutes, if God speaks to the world, then he wants the world to speak back. And so it's a discussion. And, 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 and because times and circumstance change, so other questions come and texts are interpreted slightly differently in different times, such a way that they 
they have they 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 continue to be luminous and shed light on the on on our necessity and so forth. So the guru should be able to remove our doubts by involving us in the dialogue that is revelation in a way that um, we become inspired to per- pursue the the practices and so forth that are recommended therein. So uh, when I say the guru satisfies, clears the doubts, it has to be in the context of this kind of frame of reference, in the context of, well, awakening faith in revelation, that you have to hear from outside of yourself to know yourself comprehensively and to know God. God has to reveal himself. And so to... to I, I want to separate it from just like, oh, he satisfies your doubts with some logic or something like that. But there's something that we're obviously we're participating in. So you want to you want to uh, participate in the bhakti marg or, or what, uh, as may be the case. So then uh, he or she has to speak accordingly. So that's one I think of the main main symptoms. And um, you know you could look for other things and so forth. But what, what more do you really want? You see, you want. What's what's holding you back is your doubts from going forward. So to the extent that he or she can speak and then exemplify the teaching in such a way that faith comes in you, then his or her task is 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 you know he doesn't have to live on a you know walk on the air or uh, sleep on a bed of nails or all. those things might awaken some kind of faith <laughs> that something special is going on there or something like that, but. But that's not going to carry you too far. Uh, so, this is one of the pr- pr- this is the primary business of the guru to engage us in the conversation that is revelation for us to res- res- to respond to get us to question, to get us to doubt, to to be the microphone for the revelation, and then elicit a response, and then in the context of the response to respond further and, and satisfy you to the extent that you feel compelled to, that uh, this is good, so if it, you know, kind of, if it feels good, do it, um, kind of a thing. But then you could say, well, all kinds of people felt good and did it, and the guru wasn't proved to be less than qualified, and, and so on and so forth. And um, I suppose uh, that happens to an extent, too. And I have to say that, you know, we are weak and we are prone to make mistakes and even in the realm of this that I can't say to you guarantee you that you do this and you'll be sure that you'll get the right you know you know it, it it's your sincerity and our sincerity and our sukriti for example in relation to bhakti that's accumulated over lifetimes knowingly or unknowingly by being involved it gives us some purchasing power and even people may purchase or may, you know put their money down here and sometimes it may not have been a fully uh, capable representation or representative that they put, to it, but they learn something and they, they go forward and and it's a big picture. So, um, other side, other way to look at it is, you know, it's a common question, like how we know the qualifications of the guru. Well, one way would be to study the qualifications of the disciple and put ourselves in that type of space and then the likelihood that that some representation of the divine that we're interested in is going to come our our way. Um, the teaching really is that we don't find our guru, that we don't select our guru, that the guru 
selects us that, that Brahmanda Brahmite Kon Bhagavan Jeev Guru Krishna Prasade Bhai Bhakti Latabij. So the Jeev is wandering in the world and and has a sincerity in the heart of searching and Krishna arranges to send the Guru. Now in the process of recognizing that it may seem like a logical process and but it really transcends logic. How we get involved in bhakti, what enables us to embrace the logic of bhakti, which isn't perfect. No logic is perfect. So we admit that the thing that we're talking about lies beyond the limits of logic, so we can only reason about it so much. But why someone embraces that kind of logic? Well, there's a non-logical or transrational reason for it. That's the whole theory, that bhakti gives of itself, herself as she wants. And if she touches us to an extent, we get a sangskara for bhakti, and then you know, in time it starts to make sense to us and we have faith and we think we've all reasoned it all out and so there's something bigger than that going on. So some some doubt in our reasoning capacity, that is healthy also. Otherwise, qualifications of the guru. We should try to find a guru who has, if, if it's Krishna bhakti we're interested in, one who we feel has some love for Krishna. This is a qualification. If he or she loves Krishna, and, and, and that means they have a lot to say about Krishna. They're enthused, but they're living for this. They're... But it's hard, you know, it's hard to see. I mean, even qualifications the Guru are mentioned, but there, many of them are invisible. <laughs> he's absorbed. How do you know what he's absorbed? <laughs> So I readily admit, you know, that there's some um, kind of, you know, fairly well-reasoned leap of faith that one has to take. But you know, my experience was that that when I heard my guru speak, they seemed to articulate thoughts and feelings that I had in my heart that better than I could. It made me feel like, yeah, that's how I feel about it. That's what I wanted to say, something like that. Um, and so I never felt that my gurus were a foreign or external imposition upon me, but they were the correspondence with my own heart. And what they were, so there was like a, like a, a common, common ground, like we're from the same stock, like I was at home. I felt, I felt at home here. Hmm? Home is in the heart, after all. So it spoke to my heart. And that is really the business. I mean, I could say to you, you know, I know you were born at this time, and you were, you know, you had uh, this many relatives, and and you go, wow, that's true. And, and but that doesn't speak. Some gurus do that kind of thing, but that doesn't really speak to our heart in the same way that I'm I'm talking about. That could actually almost say what I kind of feel and thought might be the case, and. And something like that. So you're kind of already there. It's, now, you know, there'll be different levels according to our own progress. But my experience might be a little different if I was, if I happen to be more um, developed and, and my, you know, not my, everybody might not have exactly the same experience. But I think to some extent this is, this is the idea, this is the teaching, that uh, we have a kind of a conscience that we don't listen to very much. It's, Sometimes the conscience is, is compared to the paramatma, the indwelling guy, like what's really in our interest, really good for us. We don't listen to it. 
guru kind of comes out, that, that, that conscience comes out before us and speaks louder than our conscience in a way that's hard to avoid. And uh, it's a kind of a feeling like that, that you've got that, really, it's in my interest here. This is, this is good for me. This, I, I must do it, not as a law, but out of, uh, like out of, out of love or, or kind of a confidence that um, here I can... I get my fill, something like that. Uh, so you're, you're already, you know, you're already getting it. You're already feeling that. It's um, so again, it's clearing of the doubts. The, the doubts are being cleared, and so one's becoming satisfied. And as long as that's going on, then pursue it. I would say, and if the doubts start, you know, not being cleared, then either you're not voicing them, or the the person's not qualified for removing them, or What's actually expected is on on our part is other than what we should expect, because I've had the experience of answering people very comprehensively their doubts, citing the scriptures in so many ways, and giving a kind of a scriptural logic and and, and so forth and so on, and they agree readily, and then next morning they come back and they have the same doubt again. So that's an emotional issue, you know. It's a it's not. It's a psychological issue. It's not. You've already answered the question, and and um, they keep asking the same question from one angle to another. So there are other ways that that needs perhaps to be to be dealt with. So guru has a certain function, and and it's going to work well as much as we understand that, and we that's what we signed on for, kind of. And it may seem not to work because we're actually. Thought it was something else, and am I helping at all with this? Or just kind of, so, those are some thoughts about it. Another question? Yes. Um, when you speak about the, uh, like a Swami being born into Leela, he, he gets to that state. Yeah. Being born into Leela, is that like being born? Um, is he then being born into? Is he recognizing what Krishna's been or doing, or is he part of the what is Leela? I guess. Well, yeah, he's part of Leela's like a drama. It's like a drama because why? Because God doesn't need to eat, right? I mean, it said we don't need to eat. We're we're a soul, so souls don't need to eat, but our body needs food. We've identified with it, so. We're eating in that context, but but God's the soul and the supreme soul, so God doesn't need to eat. But Leela means God eats. And what Leela is in that sense is this, is that, is that, so it's a drama, right? He doesn't really need to eat from one vantage point. From a, like a philosophical vantage point, he doesn't need to eat. But he eats anyway. So what is the eating of God? Eating is means madhurya, means, and not eating means no madhurya. If he doesn't need to eat, the more you think God doesn't need to eat, the more you think you create a distance between yourself and God. He doesn't need to eat. He's like way out there, you know, he's complete. I'm not complete. I'm feeling incomplete. I have needs. God has no needs. The more God has no needs, and the more we think of God like that, which is true, God has no needs, but the more we focus on that, then the less opportunity there is for us to contact him. Right? To get close to him. 
So, he, but he doesn't have needs. But nonetheless, he performs the drama of needs so that we can get close to him. So that there can be a union in love between the jiva and himself. That is Leela. He creates a drama. And Krishna's eating like anything. All kinds of things. Huge eater. And that's just part of it. <laughs> he has all kinds of other needs, apparently. And all this, if it's anything, it's this. It's, he doesn't have any needs, but what is he? He's a lover. So, <laughs> because he's a lover, he needs to love. And in order to love, then love will be enhanced by, with others. Therefore, the one becomes two. Krishna becomes Radha Krishna. This is the eternal you know, event, if you will. The one, he's full. Krishna becomes Radha Krishna. Radha is Krishna tasting himself uh, in, through bhakti. So this is not a, something that happens in time, but I'm just, you know, we have to speak about it within time, use words and so forth. So because he's a lover by nature, God, and love means you have no needs, you're full. That's what it means. Hmm? Um, love, they say, knows no reason, so he has no need, he has no reason, he has no, no necessity. It means that he has to do anything in love, you seem to have to do something in this world because it's all really about sacrifice. It's not the full face of love, but love is fulfilling. And so he's fulfilled in love. He has no necessity, but love has a necessity of its own, so to speak. It's a no necessity necessity. <laughs> it's such a fullness that it, it, it needs to express itself. So for the sake of expressing itself, there needs to be others. And so the one becomes many, and that's us. And then, and then it creates a, a, a drama of so many necessities, so to speak. It's really just love, the necessity of love. And that we, then we can enter into that. And in the context of entering into that love, participating in the love that God is, then this whole drama is, is played out. So Krishna eats, Krishna has friends, Krishna has parents and, and all these friends, these parents and, and, and the things that he eats are all devotees, they're all yogis <laughs> who have purified themselves and, and developed this preem. And when they develop this preem, this preem distinguishes them from the material body and the material ego, that, the attachment that fosters that identity and personality. And because their attachment and love is, for, for, is, a, is reposed in Krishna, they develop a form, an identity, and a personality that's made out of ecstasy. It's hard to talk about, but it's made out of ecstasy. And in that ecstatic form, they participate in the lila. Just like we've heard here, Krishna's body is not material. It's hard to understand, but that's what he's teaching. My body, he said, is made of not of bile, mucus, blood, bones, flesh, but sat, chit, ananda. Now, when you think sat means eternity, chit means Knowledge, ananda means bliss. My body's made of, of, of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. And you go, well, what does eternity look like? What, is, what does knowledge look like? You know, what does bliss look like? And Krishna says, me. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Something like that. So, <laughs> but think about it like this. As I said the other day, 
what is it that makes... You take matter. Matter is just, well, whatever. You know, so many atoms, some subatomic particles, and so forth. What causes matter to form, to take a shape? Well, we say that consciousness causes it to take a shape. That we, as a unit of consciousness, give shape to matter. So our particular form, our body, is a product of our consciousness. It's a, our consciousness is attached to matter in a particular way, so it projects and causes matter to form in a particular way to facilitate our interaction with matter, and that's our material life. So if consciousness, the point is, reposed in matter, causes matter to take shape, then why not, if consciousness is reposed in consciousness, there's going to be a shape, a shape that is made out of, that is born in eternity, <laughs> that is, uh, that is uh, 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 knowing, and knowing is knowing what to do in, in the context of love, and a love is ecstasy. So, so Krishna has a form like this. This is the idea. And, and it's perfected. The devotee has two forms. He has or she has a form we call a sadhakadeya, a yogi form, a, yoga, a, a, a form of a yogic practitioner. It's different than the form of an ordinary person. Think about it. What you do as a sadhaka, as a spiritual practitioner, as a yoga, yogin is very different than what ordinary people do. You're not, you, ordinary people are just, their senses are taking them out into the world only. The yogi is trying to bring the senses back, right? and the mind back, and focus within. So that particular body is a different body than an ordinary material body. We call it a sadhaka deha, the body deha of a practitioner. It has a unique quality to it that's different than ordinary um, material body because it's being used in an entirely different way. It's being used ultimately entirely for spiritual practice. So it's going to take on a kind of like a spiritual qualities of a, of a sort. Therefore, even the sight of a great soul can be very, in, in that body, in their practitioner's body, can be very in, inspiring. And then, then there's a second body that develops in, in, in the context of the yoga practice. That's an internal, kind of invisible, but spiritual body for participating in lila, in the drama in which the God who's got everything, but his very nature is that He's kind of, nature is love, it's of the nature of love. Anando Mayo Bhyasat. It's like Mr. Love, you know, Mr. Ecstasy himself. Something like that. God is ecstasy, and ecstasy is, is alive and growing and, and, um, and uh, overflowing and so forth. So this Leela is this playing out of this ecstasy. It's a drama. And it's sweet. It's madhurya. Therefore, the one who doesn't need to eat is eating. And as much as there is madhurya, this is the point here, a point, as much as there's madhurya, sweetness, the more that God is, is, appears needy, the more, the more we can express love in relation to Him. If you say, honey, what do you need? I don't need anything. Or, you know, and then there's the proverbial problem, what to give the man who has everything? So, when the Godhead, who's full in love, expresses 
itself, himself in love. It, it takes the shape of being needy, kind of. So, and, and then there's something for us to do. There's a way for us to participate. So the leela is, is, is a, is a, is a, provides us the opportunity to get close to God in a way that without which it would not be possible. We could think God is love, God is everything. God is, doesn't need anything. Let me become close to God. By becoming close to God, I don't need anything. Quiet, silent. Shanti, shanti, shanti. Some people like that, but, but Leela provides an opportunity for more intimacy with the God. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting um, concept. And Leela is really, in, in, in one sense, it's reaching out to the jivas in a way that's very extraordinary, very, very, very generous. And the, and the beautiful thing also here is that in the drama, Krishna loses sight of himself. He loses sight of himself. In other words, in a, you know, you can be in a drama and know I'm doing this because you know I'm going to get paid at the end of the day and uh, take two, you know, and, you know. It's, but it's not like that. It's like all the takes are perfect, and people are so the devotees are so absorbed in the drama, and 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 Krishna is so absorbed in it that that uh, the drama becomes the reality, and therefore they don't know that Krishna's God. And that's why they treat him like a friend or like a lover. They don't know that he's God. And he doesn't know it either. So that's, that's rather uh, extraordinary kind of theological idea. Hmm? But it's based on the idea that there's a possibility of having an intimacy with, with, uh, with the Godhead. <laughs> I find it all very interesting myself to talk about all right, so we've talked for some time. What time is it now? Quarter to twelve. Anything else? Any last question? We have a few minutes before Arctic. If not, I'll stop here. There'll be Arctic and then some Prashad Seva. All right. Srimad Bhagavad Gita Ki Jai. Shri Krishna Janmasthi Mamotsu Titi Ki Jai.